or we could just listen to this all day. <laughs> Cut that tree down. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Are you searching for a new job? That can be stressful, scary, and time-consuming. Pushy recruiters try to sell you on roles you don't actually want, and the job boards make you feel like you're throwing your resume into a black hole never to be seen again. And sometimes you go all the way through the interview process just to find out at the very end that the salary, offer, or company culture doesn't match what you're looking for. Hired is the world's most intelligent talent matching platform for full-time and contract opportunities in engineering development, design, product management, data science, sales, and marketing. We make your job search faster, focused, and stress-free. Instead of endlessly applying to companies and hoping for the best, Hired puts you in control of when and how you connect with compelling new opportunities. After completing one simple application, top employers apply to hire you. And on Hired, you receive personal interview requests and upfront salary information so you can make informed decisions about what opportunities to pursue over a condensed timeline. Hired offers access to more than 4,000 innovative employers, including big brand names like Facebook and smaller emerging startups. The size and type of company you want, to connect with is totally up to you. And we help you find new opportunities in 17 major cities in North America, Europe, Asia, and Australia. Open to relocation? Let them know. Your privacy and autonomy in your job search is of utmost importance. And if you go check them out at the show's link, that's hired.com slash adventures in Angular, you can get double their normal hiring bonus. So instead of $300, you get $600 for signing up at our link. That's hired.com slash adventures in Angular. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another Adventures in Angular podcast. This week on our panel, we have Alyssa Nichol. Hello, hello. Ward Bell. Hi there. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. Quick shout out about Angular Dev Summit coming up in September. We have a special guest this week, and that's TJ Van Toll. Hey, everyone. It's been a while since you've been on. Do you want to give us a brief introduction? Yeah, sure. So I'm TJ. I work as a developer advocate for Progress, and we're a software development company. If you haven't heard of us, we're behind Kendo UI, NativeScript, a few other tools as well. Yep. And we brought you on to talk about NativeScript. We've had you on before to talk about NativeScript. And so I, I was kind of thinking that we could just get started by giving a brief introduction and then refer people back to the other episode if they want to know a little bit more about what it is and how it works. Yeah, it's been a little while. So for anyone that hasn't heard of NativeScript or isn't familiar with what it is, NativeScript is a completely free, completely open source tool that lets you build iOS and Android native apps uh, with native user interfaces using JavaScript. And we also, since this is an Angular podcast, we also provide built-in support for both TypeScript and Angular as well. So basically it's a tool if you are an Angular developer, it's a tool that you can use to take Angular and build for native iOS and native Android. Gotcha. So I, I think people are pretty familiar with the idea of mobile apps with things like Cordova or Ionic. And those typically use web views. And when you say native apps, you're talking about using like JavaScript core or V8 on Android to run this stuff over a JavaScript bridge. Yep. Yeah. Basically, at, at runtime, our apps are more or less indistinguishable from just, say, completely natively written iOS and a or Android apps. We are using native UI components, so we're not using a web view. We're not using the DOM. We're not using HTML. And for people that are coming from an Angular background, from sort of a web developer's perspective, that's both like a horrible and awesome thing at the same time. It's awesome because your apps look like native apps, right? We're, we're using the same building blocks that you'd use if you're building your app straight up in Xcode or Android Studio. 
uh, but it's a horrible thing in the sense that the the real learning curve that it takes to build native script apps compared to say building with Cordova or a framework that builds on top of Cordova is that you have to use our user interface components to sort of build up your apps. For instance, you would use a native script action bar control in your sort of template, your Angular templates. And we would have the ability to turn that into say a UI navigation bar on iOS, uh, an action bar control, a native action bar control on Android. So there is that, that sort of learning curve that it takes to get over uh, and almost like a mental block too, because you want to think as a web developer, you want to think in terms of, well, I'm going to lay out my components using divs and I'm going to throw display block, display inline block, uh, things like that to sort of arrange my components. And with native script, because um, you are going completely native, uh, you have to throw a lot of that out the window. You have to sort of think with a different mindset when it comes to building your apps. But I, I think the good news is for, for Angular people is that a lot of the same Angularisms that you know from the web still apply in native script. So you're still building up your apps the same way. You have pretty much exactly the same file and folder structure. Uh, your components are going to work the same way. Your services are going to work the same way. Routing basically works the same way. Uh, and even though you're using our UI components, our Angular components to build up your apps, all the little syntax tricks you know from Angular, like how you do event binding, how you do attribute binding, um, those sorts of things, those things all still apply exactly as if you are building a web app. Does the template that I fill in use angle brackets and the syntax of HTML or the syntax of Angular template syntax? Uh, it just has different elements or where, where does it begin to show up there? Yeah, so it's, it's basically the same. The, the thing is, in fact, you really couldn't, I, I mean, if you're using, a, if you're building a fairly complex Angular app, when you have like all custom components, it's going to look exactly like a native script app. So it'd be like an action bar in angle brackets, but then you would be using you know, attributes we provide. And it's basically like using a suite of custom Angular components versus using things like divs and spans as your building blocks. Well, that's kind of where an Angular developer is trying to go anyway. I mean, we, we'd rather, you know, and particularly if you're an Angular developer that's thinking about taking on big third-party component suite like Material or somebody else's, um, and you're building up your own stuff as, as component trees that abstract the details of uh, the HTML widgets uh, away, that you kind of end up looking that way, yeah. don't you? Yeah, for sure. And it, it's worth noting, too, that you know, with NativeScript, really, we're, Angular is an optional dependency of us. Really, NativeScript at its lowest level, it's just a technology that's allowing JavaScript to sort of drive native applications. It's the communication layer that happens between JavaScript and these native objects. What makes Angular work so well from us and why we spent a lot of time working with Angular and the Angular team is because uh, that sort of model that Angular used just happens to be a really good fit for NativeScript because we found that Angular developers, you know, if I'm going to like say a pure JavaScript developer who doesn't, you know, does, doesn't really like using any frameworks at all, this idea of using components and using this, this syntax that they're not familiar with can be a little bit odd and it, the, the learning curve can be a little bit heavy. But for people coming from an Angular background that have used this, you know, bringing in this sort of suite of components that you, you have to refer to, you have to learn sort of the, the APIs, but you don't have to learn the syntax is quite compelling. And we find that that's one of the reasons we've spent a lot of effort talking to Angular developers and working to try to make our integration with Angular, uh, you know, really good. So I think 
people kind of get the idea of what native script is and you know how angular ties into it i'm curious because you know like like we said it's been a while since you've been on what's new in native script that uh people might be interested in these days yeah so over the last say i don't know six months to something like a year our focus has been on a couple different things uh i'd say performance tooling and plugins and just to sort of go through those you know, performance is one of the things we always talk about with NativeScript, that one of the key reasons to use NativeScript is because you care about the performance of your app or you're trying to do something non-trivial. So in the last release specifically, we, we shipped NativeScript 3.0 back here in May, I believe somewhere around the May timeframe. And that release was really the culmination of a whole bunch of profiling uh, that we had done over the NativeScript source code base um, all the way from things such as how fast your app starts up, how fast we can launch and boot your app, all the way to things like how you can render your UI. So one of the questions people ask a lot is how does NativeScript compare to say uh, truly native apps, right? Apps that you are building straight up in Xcode or Android Studio. And our answer is, you know, there's a there's a cost to doing to working with NativeScript because because we are letting you write your source code in JavaScript, we do have to go across a JavaScript bridge essentially to get to the native stack. And so a lot of our effort has been in really optimizing that, how fast we can paint your UIs, how fast we can transition from one page to the next, really profiling each step that happens on that way. And a lot of those performance boosts have shipped with NativeScript 3.0. It's also, if we're talking about what we're working on NativeScript moving forward, uh, we're really working on optimizing the startup time of NativeScript. That's sort of, sort of an ongoing effort one of the other performance penalties that we have in NativeScript are things that we just have to think about is because we're using JavaScript, we have one step that truly native apps don't have. We have to register all the JavaScript code that you write with the JavaScript VM, essentially the piece of the chunk of code that's actually driving your app when you write with NativeScript. This is a similar problem to what React Native and other tools that take approaches like, like NativeScript do. And so specifically, uh, when we're using Angular apps in particular, that startup cost can, you know, there's there's some cost there because Angular is not necessarily known for being the world's smallest JavaScript framework. But Angular is known for being very toolable. And so a lot of our effort, we've shipped a Webpack plugin, plugin that helps you, you know, reduce the footprint of your app, which means far faster startup times when you're using Angular with NativeScript. We shipped that plugin sometime here within the last few months. And we're working to refine that and really offer it as sort of like a built-in feature just because it is so important to the performance of your native script apps. So things like that, those are some of the performance things that we've either shipped or that we have ongoing. The other things are related to tooling. You know, with native script has first and foremost always been a command line interface. You, you build native script apps with a command line, um, you use it through there. We're working on adding some more visual tooling more as like a companion to the CLI. We don't. We think the CLI is always going to be the the first place to go for native script development. But there's some things that having a visual tool really helps with, especially when you come when you think about the native application, sort of the native app problem. Things like how do you build your icons? How do you deal with your splash screens? How do you deal with some of these native configuration files? We have this thing called Native Script Sidekick. That's sort of as its name implies, is a sidekick to the Native Script command line interface that can help you with some of these tasks. We have an early beta out now, but um, sort of already out and we're working on continuing to refine that. And then I think the third thing I'll mention is plugins. Uh, we purposely try to keep 
NativeScript core kind of light for the same reasons I mentioned earlier with trying to keep our footprint kind of small. And so we encourage people that need to solve all these, you know, there's, there's probably 500 thousands of different things that you might want to do as part of building a native app. And so we encourage developers both, um, you know, on our own team and the NativeScript community to do that through plugins. And we've seen sort of the NativeScript plugin ecosystem explode over the last few months. I, I think we're somewhere over 500 plugins, somewhere, somewhere in that ballpark right now. And so we've, we've actually, in a way, it's created other problems because we have so many plugins. We've put in a lot of effort <laughs> to try to, uh, you know, rein in the pop, like try to bring some consistency to our plugins. You know, for the longest time, we were just telling people, yeah, build plugins. And then turns out people actually built plugins. We're like, whoa, and maybe we should have thought a little bit more <laughs> before then to say, hey, it'd be great if you built you know, your plugins in this way, you provided TypeScript, you know, the TypeScript definition files. So these plugins are easy to use and documented them in a consistent way. So a lot of this effort um, we've put in, there's, we have a new plugins marketplace at plugins.nativescript.org that shipped several months ago. And now we're trying to work to, you know, add some consistency to this, to plugins and adding some documentation around those sorts of things as well. So sorry, I, I was rambling here for five or 10 minutes, but that's sort of the the, the high notes of what we've been working on. No, that makes sense. You mentioned NativeScript 3. What is the upgrade path and what, what's the compatibility with NativeScript 2? So for the most part, for the vast majority of applications, it's a pretty seamless upgrade. It's, it's kind of like Angular 2 to Angular 4, really, in the sense that there were a few breaking changes, but for most apps, um, it's going to be fairly transparent or fairly trivial to update. I've had a few apps of, of my own where the update was just quite literally changing a few uh, version numbers in my package.json file. The one thing that did break, um, we were just talking about plugins, and we did have some breaking changes in NativeScript plugins. And that was one of the main reasons that we bumped the version number up. As part of the performance changes we made to, to specifically render your interfaces faster, uh, to render UI components on the screen faster, we had to change some of our APIs for dealing with the visual tree that we use in NativeScript. So just you know, our layout mechanism, um, those sorts of things as well. Now, those are things that are unlikely to hit your common app because you're probably just coding using our Angular components, in which case you don't necessarily need to know what's going on under the hood. But if you are the type of person that was developing a NativeScript plugin or you're doing something non-trivial with NativeScript at the user interface level, you could have hit that. Um, those were really where the bulk of the changes were. We did work with some of our plugin authors um, to try to make sure that the really commonly used plugins, you know, say like, you know, the top 30 or 40 most downloaded plugins out there were absolutely ready to go for launch day for 3.0. And I think by this point, you know, 3.0 has been out for a little over a month now. I think most of our plugins have upgraded to 3.0. So hopefully no one's having trouble uh, getting up to date. If so, um, you know, people can reach out on our forums and we've been trying to uh, help tackle these issues when they come up. Do you find that it's, it's difficult to, I mean, I just, I can't believe you, there's that many plugins. Has it been difficult to manage like just the communication, much less, you know, upgrades or breaking things and bugs? Like how, how, how has your team managed that? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. And I think that's one of the, been one of the more interesting things with working on NativeScript. Uh, you know, just to be completely honest and transparent, Progress as a company, we really haven't done a project quite like NativeScript before. I mean, it's 
really one of our first ventures into it's a project that's completely open source. It's it's completely free as well. And sort of managing how, you know, how we work alongside the community to sort of, you know, in a, in a way we want to guide the community, but we we also want to be sort of hands off. We want to give people some freedom to sort of experiment and build their own things. And so it's, it's been a big learning curve and a big learning experience. Um, but our process is mostly we just try to be as transparent as possible about what we're trying to do and reach out for feedback. We have mm -hmm. a NativaScript Slack channel, which is, is also, you know, growing crazily and is, is also a little bit out of control. We have a lot of people in there, but we have a lot of very dedicated, uh, very talented and pretty awesome community members that, that sort of help us out and are sort of our first point of contact when we're thinking about making these sort of changes. When we had an idea of, you know, when we knew that we had to make some breaking changes, our first step was to reach out to those people just through sort of a informal Slack chat and say, you know, here's what we're thinking. Uh, what do you think? Uh, got some feedback, tried to, you know, genuinely take the feedback into account as best we could. And then also work with these people, uh, work with our community to help, you know, when it came to the actual upgrade process, we tried to actually put in a good fourth effort to get, especially some of these plugins where we know people have put a considerable amount of effort into them to help them along with the process. But I don't know, it's, it's always a, a learning curve. And as a company, we're we're still learning a little bit of how to do this open source thing and do it right because it's it's not an easy problem. Mm. No, it's it's not. And I, I have never heard a company say that they had it all figured out, but <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. So what's coming down the pipe now? What are you working on adding to native script what for? Yeah, I, we'll have to talk about version numbers. Big thing is related to tooling. We ship some tooling things like we have, actually I should have mentioned earlier, one of the big things we shipped was a step debugger for Visual Studio Code. So if you're a Visual Studio Code user, you can now just directly you know, do this step debugging directly within the debug tab in VS Code for your completely native iOS and Android apps, uh, which is pretty cool. But we want to do quite a bit more to the debugging experience. So we also launched support for the Chrome developer tools for NativeScript. But uh, at the moment, I, I say this, I'm, I'm almost hesitant to mention it because they're only available in a very limited capacity right now. Uh, right now, you get the Chrome dev tools and things like the console works and you can see network requests, which is nice, right? But it's not the sort of full experience that you would expect if you're used to using those tools for web apps. So we're looking to make things like the elements tab work. Um, I know one of the, the big, pain points when it comes to learning NativeScript is learning how to build a visual tree with NativeScript. So we think that you know, actually being able to see the thing visually, and especially if we can make it interactable. So you can do things like how you mess with CSS in your web app to sort of play around with layouts or play around with colors, that sort of thing. Uh, we think that's possible to bring that to NativeScript as well. So we've been putting a lot of effort into slowly adding more functionality into that debugging tool just because we think that's pretty important to NativeScript developers. The other big thing is, is again, related to performance. We've got a lot of efforts going on at the moment, specifically around startup time. Yeah, I mentioned we shipped a lot of performance-related things for NativeScript 3.0, but most of those were focused on the runtime experience, like how fast we can paint a UI, how fast we can paint sort of more complex native, native user interfaces. And we're now turning our attention more to just how fast we can start up your app and what sort of things we can do to optimize that and bring that number down as much as possible. 
And so a lot of that involves, you know, how can we, you know, fight with Webpack configuration files to get exactly what we want? Um, what are the best ways to, you know, reduce the number of files we're using, um, use Uglify, use whatever we can to sort of reduce that bundle size. So we have some effort in the work to sort of profile that um, and see what we can do there. Uh, and the last is related to tooling. You know, some of the visual tooling that we have, we we think we can bring some fairly powerful behavior to NativeScript developers. Uh, in the past progress, we've had some premium tools for working with mobile apps that let you do things like uh, build apps in the cloud. So say you were a Windows developer and you wanted to build iOS apps. We have some premium tooling that can do that today. And we think we're going to be able to bring that to the open source version of NativeScript, sort of make that work with directly within the NativeScript CLI. Uh, so we're working on things like that as well. Are you ready to master Angular? Oasis Digital offers Angular Bootcamp, a three-day intense workshop class for individuals or teams. They cover Angular 4 and 2 and focus on the skills and knowledge you need for complex, data-rich applications. They also still offer AngularJS for teams supporting older projects. Bring them to your site or send developers to them in St. Louis, San Francisco, New York, D.C., and other cities and online at angularbootcamp.com. Can you refresh our memory about the, the, the role of the store, like Google Play or whatever Apple Store is, in the distribution of apps built? with um, uh, built in this modality uh, the reason that uh, that something triggered that in my head was you were talking about being able to flexibly change layout and um, I didn't you know that requires certain flexibility on the part of the the uh, native uh, infrastructure to accept those kinds of changes and that led me down the whole question of how do you deal with iOS and its constraints? So if you, can you refresh our memory on how you tackle that? So with NativeScript, you're, you're building native iOS and Android apps. So essentially, uh, things are going to work really exactly the same as, as if you're building things from the ground up with Xcode or Android Studio. And so for some of our users, that means just you, you, you build your app with NativeScript. The NativeScript CLI spits out a native app package, so it'll be a .apk file for Android, a .ipa file for iOS, and then you just head out to the native stores and, and actually register your apps and use, use those stores as a distribution model to get the app out to your users. Uh, you don't have to go that way. We, we have certain people, especially companies, that uh, don't need to distribute their apps publicly and, in fact, don't want to do that sort of thing. Uh, think maybe you know an app you're working at a company and you need your your uh, internal people to have an app that they can take out in the field. You know maybe they're some sort of sales rep, maybe they're doing some sort of inventory job. Um, so there's also tools um, that you can use to sort of distribute apps locally to to users. I think in progress we sell some of them. There's other companies that sell these sort of things as well, but all of them sort of take that that native built file, the .apk, the .ipa file. Uh, that's sort of the base building block. And because in NativeScript, because we're just you know generating the, those exact same native binaries, like once you have that, you can use any sort of iOS or Android distribution model uh, that you want to use. Okay, so that takes a, you know that takes me in a different uh, direction because now the we were talking about startup performance, and it's not about installation. It's not about the equivalent in a web app of downloading. You know. There's no point necessarily in decreasing the download size 
nor even of the lazy loading in the sense of going back to the server to get more code. Is is that much of my statement correct? Yeah, and in fact, I'd, I'd say that one of the big performance advantages that native apps have is because you don't necessarily have to deal with the network, right? So uh, even in terms of like for media files, whereas a web app might need to worry about you know, your initial load, I, I'm going to need all these image assets or video assets or, or those sorts of things. With native apps, you do have the ability to just package that in the file. And the download cost for the user happens when they get the app from the store. You don't have to do it you know, from the network necessarily when the user first runs up your app. The specific, um, I should mention too, the specific cost when it comes to startup time is not us getting JavaScript from the network. That's actually one of the reasons that you know, we can start relatively fast, given the amount of JavaScript that we have to actually parse compared to your typical web app, we can start pretty pretty fast. The cost that we do have is actually the, the cost to just straight up register your JavaScript code with say you know, V8 or JavaScript core. So the same reason that there's a cost for that on the browser as well, you know, if you feed Angular into V8, there's a certain you know, the, just straight cost that it'll take V8 to actually be able to parse that thing and run with it. The same thing is true in native script as well. Right, yeah, and a lot of people don't get that. They think that it's all about shrinking the download size, and it's just as much about the, that startup time and that parse time and so much energy. So a lot of effort is just into the parse time, and part of that's also the device you're running on. So to some degree, what, what you're describing is a problem for low-powered devices, right? Like if I have a, a high, high, you know, nice expensive iPhone and stuff like that, my cost isn't as high. Is that true? Yeah, a hundred percent. And in fact, I'd say right now, I, I, I pretty much have zero concerns about native script startup performance on say like a high end you know, iPhone seven or, or whatever cost there, like startup times, you know, it's sub second, right? It's not something that a person's going to care about on a typical native app where the bigger cost is on Android. And it's not because Android is necessarily slower. It's more because Android, there is a wider range of performance characteristics, right? Like all the way up for, you know, your Google pixels of the world, all the way down to, you know, some crappy Android 4.2 device that is still on the market that still a whole lot of people actually use. Um, so we, we sort of have to care about those devices, sort of just like you'd have to care about them on a web app. The one other thing I'll mention though, too, with, because we're running in native apps, we can, we can do some sort of fun things. So V8 in particular, we use V8 on Android to actually run JavaScript. And V8 has this feature called heap snapshots. And basically what that means is you can sort of pre-register some of your JavaScript code sort of directly in the heap memory of V8. Uh, that's about as far, I'm not going to act like I totally understand exactly how this works, but essentially it's you know, a trick that we can do in NativeScript that web apps don't necessarily have access to because you know, the raw V8 APIs aren't exposed. But we can get a little bit clever with how we load our JavaScript to actually, you know, try to shave off some of those milliseconds when your app starts up. Are you looking at service worker at all? Well, in NativeScript, there is no service worker. So that you're working completely in a native Android construct. So the service worker isn't there at all. I see. So if I wanted, so, but isn't there some notion of offloading work to a second thread? There and is. Also, and also the other thing about service worker, I guess you have this in native apps, is that you have a little thing that's available even when the app is not visible 
uh, on the screen, you know, it can be sitting there listening for instructions and it's a fairly small footprint and things like that. And you've got something comparable. Yep. Uh, yeah. So in NativeScript, you can do all those things. But the difference is with you're not using the service worker APIs. You're just using, you know, NativeScript APIs, which are abstracting away completely native iOS or Android APIs. So all of the things that a service worker does, you can accomplish in NativeScript. You can run in the background. You can get a user's location in the background. You can send push notifications on, in the background. You know, anything that an app on your phone can do today that you've seen is something that's possible to do in native NativeScript apps. And I'd even say that, you know, one of the reasons to build with NativeScript, because I think one question we haven't really touched upon is, you know, why build NativeScript at all? Why wouldn't you just build a web app or a progressive web app or something that uses service workers at all? And my answer to that is generally, well, you, you should have something compelling, you know, some reason to go native over using the web. There should be some feature. And lots of times those things are things that you just need a native app to be able to do. Like if sending uh, push notifications when your app is offline on iOS is critical to your business, well, NativeScript's a great option to accomplish that because it's just something that you can't do on the web today. Fair enough. And certainly a lot of device-type interactions are not easily done. They're getting easier, but they're not done. So, yeah, there's a whole catalog of things that just have to be native. Yep, exactly. So are there good resources for people who want to get started with NativeScript? The best place I, I like to point people at, if you just go to nativescript.org, there's a big Get Started button. And if you click that thing, there are two different tutorials you can go through to learn NativeScript. There's one on getting started with NativeScript and just straight up JavaScript. If you are the sort of person that likes something with just, you know, a framework with completely no dependencies. And then the other tutorial is on NativeScript plus Angular. So if you want to learn how to use Angular to build native apps, that's the place I would recommend you go. There's also, I'll mention, a site one of our community members just launched called nativescripting.com which is sort of a companion to those same tutorials, but it's a just a video version of them. So if you are the type of person that is a video learner, you want to go through, learn NativeScript. Uh, that way, nativescripting.com is a great place to go. Sounds good. So what does the, the testing and build story look like on NativeScript? And I'm thinking specifically like running it through a CI or something like that. Yeah, so we have a couple different things. Unit testing to NativeScript is built directly into the NativeScript CLI. We could sort of start there. So any of the, the normal unit testing libraries that you might think of using, Mocha, Chai, uh, Jasmine, those sort of things are built in for simple unit tests. For CI, we have some support. Um, if you just say like Google NativeScript Travis, we have some um, articles, some information on how you can sort of build NativeScript in an automated way. And because NativeScript is a command line interface, it, it really revolves around just automating those tasks, the, the, the steps of sort of building and running your application. The other thing, too, is that with NativeScript, because we're generating native iOS and Android apps, uh, there are a lot of tools out there that sort of um, let you automate, say, starting up and running an application. If you wanted something that was more, say, like a functional test, some tool that actually started your apps, click the buttons, um, make sure those those behaviors still work. With NativeScript internally, we use a tool called Appium, which does that sort of thing. It lets us sort of um, automate our iOS and Android apps. We have a few tests that we run through to make sure we don't break anything. Um, and that's sort of the workflow that we use internally. But you do have some options. Um, we've had people use NativeScript with Travis, Jenkins. Um, there's some articles out there. It, it really just depends on the sort of thing that you're trying to do. 
All right. Well, let's go ahead and do some picks. This episode is sponsored by Angular Dev Summit, coming September 11th through the 18th, 2017. Hi, it's Chuck from devchat.tv. I reached out to some of my friends in the Angular community to put on a completely free, no travel conference for Ruby developers. We have speakers like Rob Wormald, Jeff Welpley, and others coming to speak about all kinds of topics in Angular. So if you're trying to learn Angular or you're trying to level up Angular, come check it out. The talks are happening throughout the day each day and we'll have a chat available during each session. Attending the talks is free, but you need to register. Go to angulardevsummit.com. Ward, do you have some picks for us? Yeah, actually, I do. And my pick is a book. And it's not a lighthearted book. (laughs) It's called Being Mortal by Atul Gavandi. And I read it in part because I'm getting older and in part because I have a relative who is failing. And I wanted to know more about what, what it's like to be or to take care of somebody approaching the end. And this is a brilliant, sympathetic book that will surprise you, surprise me, lots of surprises, written by a guy who's been writing in The New Yorker for a long time about what it's like to be a doctor in our um, West, in our U- United States uh, healthcare system. And, and again, it's very sympathetic. Uh, it, it's very nuanced. It's not it's not one of the, it's not attack at all. So you, you open your mind to this and you realize especially what uh, is going on in the mind of somebody uh, approaching that time. And um, I think it's really an important book. And so I'm putting the link in here called Being Mortal. And highly recommended, uh, especially if you know someone or have an old, you know, a parent or somebody close to you who's at that phase. All right, Alyssa, what are your picks? I just have one pick, and I found it earlier. It's called Hyper. It's a completely JavaScript, HTML, and CSS terminal. And so I will put the link in there. It's literally hyper.is. But I just think it's so brilliant. And I've actually had a bunch of people on Twitter tell me that they'd found it like a month ago or a few weeks ago, and they've like just replaced their terminal with it. So I... I don't know. Give it a try. It's called hyper.is. Nice. Alyssa, is that for Windows or Mac or both? It says download hyper for Mac OS, other platforms coming soon. Sorry, I was like actually reading the website while you asked. But yeah, so it looks like the other platforms are coming soon, but right now it does have it for Mac OS. All right. Good question. So yeah, I'll jump in here with a couple of picks. One book that I am reading right now is a book called Ego is the Enemy. And it's it's making me think a little bit about how I approach uh, life and particular things, some things that are hard, some things that are good. Anyway, I highly recommend that book. And yeah, I think that's all I've got this week. TJ, what are your picks? Man, I'm going to feel so weird here. You people, with your very serious picks. And here I come with like the most kooky things out there. So I'm going to pick Pokemon, first of all, which... Yay! uh, Yeah! I mean, I felt bad about it, too. I'm like, you know, here's one on the head, you know. (laughs) Then Chuck comes in with his on the the head. Penalty into the penalty box. Well, I got to swing. I got to swing the other way just to keep things somewhat light here. So I'm going to pick Pokemon. I'll specifically pick Pokemon Go, which... Uh, I'm one of the people that still plays that game, and it's actually been they uh, Niantic, the company behind it, just released a number of new features, and 
a lot of them are social features. So, for instance, a Pokemon shows up during a raid and you have to go out as a group to actually sort of defeat the boss Pokemon. So it's a way of actually, you know, bringing, forcing nerds to actually congregate and interact with each other in order to accomplish some goal, which is which is kind of fun. And I, I sort of appreciate that the game has done that. And it's funny, Alyssa, actually, you mentioned Hyper. And I just happened to have tried that earlier this week, uh, specifically because they mentioned that they had Pokemon themes for the terminal. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> you you totally need to Google this. Uh, it's Pokemon themes. And I think what sold me on Hyper was just how easy the theme was. It was just like one configuration file. And I changed the Pokemon's name and like there it was. So I'm trying out Hyper specifically because they had uh, Pokemon themes. My other pick is... A, just to keep things crazy here, is a podcast called My Dad Wrote a Porno, which oh, the, name, <laughs> the name sort of says it all, but it's basically this this guy's dad wrote a porno and he decided to make a podcast out of it and just read one chapter per episode. And it, I swear it is the funniest thing that I have ever listened to. So I have to tell people about it. Um, uh, not, not exactly G-rated, but a, a lot of fun. <laughs> those pokemon features are awesome not only do they get us to go outside but now they get us to go outside and be with other people i know it's it's crazy <laughs> that just feels wrong all right tj if people want to keep up on what's going on with native script is it just native script.org or are there other places they should be looking yeah, I'd say the two best things there, if you just Google NativeScript newsletter, there's a monthly newsletter we send out. So if you just want sort of the cliff notes of the latest and greatest, that's a nice way to stay up to date. If you're the sort of person that likes, you know, cutting edge daily updates, we, we do post a lot on Twitter. So twitter.com slash NativeScript. It's a great place to follow if you want to live on the cutting edge of NativeScript. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up and we will catch everyone next week. All right. Thanks for having me. Yep. Thanks for coming. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.